0: Well, good morning again, uh, happy Father's Day. I had a nice visit with my dad on Friday. Um, yeah, it's it's been a sweet season with dad. He's uh, I'm grateful for him, uh, for generations of uh, hard work that have allowed me to live the life that I've lived. Um, yesterday at the men's breakfast, we were talking about encouragement. Pastor Jack was uh, speaking and just... Uh, just a really good reflection on those who have built into our lives, and just the generational building into one another uh, as men, as fathers. I um, think about my grandfather as well, uh, my Pepe. He didn't really like kids. He had seven. He had seven boys, and uh, many, many grandchildren. There was sort of this understanding. You just don't. Um, you don't. Kind of go near him, you know, <laughs> when we were visiting. I mean, he wasn't mean to us, but just you just kind of give him the space. But um, he was a, uh, he worked hard. He finished eighth grade and just didn't continue. He had to go work and he ended up uh, serving in, he was a World War II veteran. He was a firefighter in Nashua. He was the deputy chief there. And I've been recently sort of officially appointed the chaplain for the fire department in Andover, so I've been hanging out at the fire department more, and I've been uh, meeting the guys and learning about their work, and just I feel more connected to my grandfather through that, and understanding his life and uh, the hard work that he put in on behalf of our family. So anyway, I've been kind of nostalgic, so um, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I know Father's Day can have mixed emotions for people, those who... um, had strained relationships with their fathers, or didn't know their fathers, or who've lost their fathers. Um, so, uh, anyway, I just pray that God would just meet you in a special way. However, you get uh, nostalgic yourself, or how you are grateful to God for um, for those who have built into your life. But I want to. So today's Father's Day, but I want to back up uh, two months to Easter and to Holy Week specifically. It was the Wednesday of Holy Week, and we gathered as a, a, the, the staff and ministry leaders were together uh, for our regular Wednesday prayer meeting, and we read through the Gospel of Matthew, we, the, mostly chapters 27 and 28, from the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying and, the night before his crucifixion, right through the whole narrative of Jesus' crucifixion, his Uh, resurrection from the dead and we're just reading it slowly we we spent a lot of time and at the end of it we just made observations together what strikes you as we read this familiar story what strikes you as we read it again and uh... one particularly astute person on our team uh, raised her hand and said i i've got a question we've just read through all the crucifixion she said jesus said Anyone who wants to come after me must take up his cross and follow me. What does that really mean? And there was a pause. And we took some stabs at it. We batted the question around. I actually think as a group, we did okay. You know, we we wrestled with that. And but since then, since that day, so that was April, I thought it was April 12th that question has followed me and it sort of haunted me that because on April 12th I knew that on June 18th I'd be standing here considering Jesus' words if anyone would come after me if anybody wants to be my disciple that person has to take up their cross deny themselves take up their cross and follow me and the reason why this question has haunted me because I'm not sure I understand that taking up a cross and following Jesus, have I done that? Have I, how have I done that? How do I know that I've done that? And I felt confident before, so I would have, if you had asked me before that day, you know, do you understand this teaching of Jesus? You must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Yeah, I understand that's a very central teaching. And since that day, I feel like, I, I, maybe I don't know. And I feel like it's just one of these things that we just have to, Take Jesus' words and let them sink deep by his spirit. And I'll pray that in a minute, uh, But that by his spirit these words might go deep for us. So, not out loud, but just answer this question for yourself. When Jesus told the people, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, he meant X. And you've got to fill in X. When Jesus said that, he, he meant X. Because that's what we're trying to. I want to. That's what I want to know, and that's what I want you to know, because this is so foundational to being a Christian. Because we know, as Christians, that our faith in Jesus, our Christian faith, is not about just ascribing to a system of beliefs. It's, it's, it's not about. It's not about a doctrine. It's about a person. It's about Jesus. It's about what he. Did and what he accomplished and what he has called us to. So when Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. It, it, that is central. So when we take up our cross to follow him, he meant X. He meant whatever, whatever that is. That's what it looks like. And you know that you're doing it if you do X. I don't know. So we're going to explore that this morning. Now, if you're here this morning, and I just want to say this, if you are just exploring the Christian faith, maybe you were raised in a a church, you have a church background or some kind of faith background, but you're not totally sure if you're really in or out with this stuff, if, if this is really the right thing, is Christianity the way? If that's you, then this is a key thing to focus on for you as well. For us as followers of Jesus, for you as someone who's perhaps exploring Jesus, because it's right at the center of what Jesus came to accomplish and what he came to show his followers. So I'm glad that you're here to explore that with us together. So let's all pray together for this. So Father, perfect Heavenly Father, we, we need you, we seek you right now, and we pray that you would meet us where we are at this morning. You know our hearts. You know what we understand. You know what we don't understand. You know our hopes and our fears, and you know all the things that we've come into this room with, the joys and the struggles of the week that have, have been and, and those that which you are calling us to in the week to come. But in this moment, Lord, we just pray that we would have a deep sense of your presence in your spirit that you would teach us and that you would show us your ways. To the glory of your name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's walk through this. I'm going to walk through in three parts. And you can see three sections there in your text. Essentially, here's I'll give you my three points up front, so no surprises. Uh, point number one, Jesus is the king. The second thing is Jesus, the king, must suffer. And thirdly, that to follow... we. His followers follow in the way of the king. First part. Look, at, look again, Mark 8, 27. Jesus goes with his disciples. He goes on to the villages around uh, Caesarea Philippi. And he, on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, you know, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Here the disciples, and Peter in particular, beginning to really see what's going on. Who Jesus really is. Remember, he's come on the scene. He's uh, he's declaring that the kingdom of God is near. That it's at hand. That it's very close and that repentance is necessary, and believing this good news of the kingdom is, is, is central, and it's unfolding, and Jesus is teaching, and he's performing the miracles, and now Peter sees it, and he says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. Uh, and if... if no other sort of tidbits here, I, I want everybody in this room or anybody who comes to this church to understand this basic thing. The word Messiah and the word Christ, it's the same word. The Greek word is Christ or Christos and the Hebrew word is Messiah and we, I use them very interchangeably when I preach. So if I say Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ, that's, it, Christ is not just Jesus' last name, it's Jesus Christ, it's a title. So you could say Jesus, Messiah, or Jesus Christ. And and people, so when I say, you know, what is Messiah, what is Christ, sometimes people say Savior. It's actually not what it means. Actually, Jesus means uh, God saves more than the title Christ or Messiah. Literally, it means anointed one, or to anoint, or to smear. So uh, in the Bible, anointing is about a calling. It's about... Kings were anointed, and prophets were anointed, and you were anointed and given a specific commission. uh, Anointing was about setting apart, so the word Christ or the word Messiah means to anoint. And it's not just an anointed one, but there was this hope for the anointed one, the promised Messiah, the promised Christ, who was to come into the world anointed by God. To come and set all things straight, a world that is broken by sin and evil. And this Messiah was going to come as a conquering king, victorious over all evil and over all injustice and over all sin. And this this was the hope. And now Peter is watching Jesus and he says, it's you. You're the Messiah. This is a big deal. Obviously, this is a big deal. Because there is a big hope. And there was a big expectation for this Messiah to come, the long-promised ruler. How did Peter know it? How did he know? I mean, certainly he he saw and he was listening and hearing the teaching. But it became a conviction of his heart that God revealed it to him. As God is revealing himself, Jesus, God in the flesh, takes on human flesh and begins teaching and acting in this world and it wasn't so that he could just anonymously and uh, mysteriously and just go unnoticed you know what is the point of that could God come to this earth and just blend in with everyone else no Peter sees it that this is God in the flesh this is divine Messiah and And again, he sees it. Then Jesus says, but don't tell anybody. Why? Aren't you coming to to demonstrate and unfold this kingdom now that we know that you are the anointed one, you are the king, you, you are the Messiah, the Christ? Why then would we not tell? And what it was is that Jesus is actually trying to suppress... What people expected of the Messiah to do, which was really come in and wipe out you know, a political leader who was a king, who would have command and army and power to just wipe out evil and wipe out Rome, who was controlling the, the Jewish people, and just, just come in and, and conquer in, in sort of a violent way. And here, Jesus now in there in a region which is really on the outskirts of all the religious activity. And he has to re-educate them about what the Messiah is and what the Messiah is supposed to do. So here's we get to our second point. So Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Messiah. Now he needs to tell them what it's going to look like. What needs to happen. How he's going to conquer. How he's going to be victorious over evil and sin. And he says this, verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he spoke plainly about this, clearly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he said, Get behind me, Satan. He said, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. How did Peter get it so right that in his heart, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah, yet get it so wrong that he would correct Jesus when Jesus says, I, the, the Messiah, but the Son of Man, must die. Again, the Son of Man is a whole other title that Jesus used for himself. Another, again, another uh, divine title. Of, of, of one who is sent to save. But how does Peter get it so wrong? All these prophetic images of the coming Messiah, this is, it's conquering, it's a political leader, it's a military leader. So that the notion that the Messiah would suffer, that the Messiah would die, just didn't fit. That's why Peter tries to correct Jesus, and Jesus gets so upset. And he's so upset because his death is not just a consequence of his ministry. It was the trajectory of his ministry. It wasn't, you know, the, the, the Messiah might suffer and die. Or that this might be a consequence of, of living in this kingdom. But it's no, that, that the Son of Man must suffer many things. It, it's, it's central. His death and resurrection is central to this whole thing. So, Jesus calls Peter Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty strong comment, obviously. You don't don't want Jesus to call you Satan. (laughs) Christ and Messiah, same word. Jesus, don't call you Satan. These are really good takeaways. (laughs) But why so strange? Um, This is not the first time Jesus has said this statement. Get get behind me. Get away from me, Satan. Um, How did Satan treat Jesus? When Jesus was being tempted, this is earlier in his ministry, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. It counts it like this. This is Matthew 4, 8. Again, the devil took him, took Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The temptation was that all the earthly possessions... Kingdoms and power and all the things that people in the world pursue, prestige and status and success, all that can be yours. And Jesus said, that's the mind of Satan. The mind of God is to serve him alone. And that does not necessarily mean that I have power as the world sees it or possessions or kingdoms or status. It's about giving glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Jesus is setting up a kingdom in which life is not about what I get and what I achieve, but life is about what I give. Life is not about hanging what I hang on to, but what I give away. And he says, I'm going to be giving my life and death, and I'm giving it on behalf of all people. That's the difference between the concerns of God and the concerns of uh, human con- merely human concerns. Concerns of God and human concerns in verse 33. This is the root of Peter's misunderstanding. There's two ways of thinking. There's the world's way and there's God's way. And again, the world's way is Satan's way. In a nutshell, one is about what you get, the other is about what you give. And Jesus is saying, My kingdom is not what you're expecting. Yes, they'll be saving, and there will be victory over evil. But this is not going to come the way that you think it will. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says it like this: Jesus, in very nature God, did not consider His equality with God something to be used to His own advantage, something to to gain. But He made Himself nothing; He took on human flesh, took on the form of a servant and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he says, I must do that. I must die. There's a necessity to it. And, and people who, and again, if you're in this group of people this morning, or if you know people who are exploring Jesus, why is it so bloody? Why, why is this necessary? Why the cross? Why, and we sing about blood. Why do we sing about blood? It's because Jesus is not what we expect, but God the Father is also not what people in this world expect. He is so holy and other and perfect and beyond us. And because he is so perfect, when we sin, and, and we all sin, we've all inherited a sinful nature, we all sin of our own accord, we fall short of God's glory. And what is perfect and holy can't be with what is soiled and stained by sin. God's holiness, it, it separates us from, so we have sinful humanity and a holy God, and that is a huge chasm that cannot be bridged, except it, it, the giving of, of Jesus' body and his blood, that he had to die. Because we deserved, in light of a holy God, we deserve to die. He took that death upon himself. He's saying, I must do this. It's necessary that I do this. And in giving his life, he sets up a whole new way in this kingdom. There's a whole new pattern now. That life can be but what about, about what we give and not about what we get. That's what the king does the king comes to serve the king comes to lay down his life and in losing his life life is given life is known this is a new pattern so this leads to the third thing so if the first point is Jesus is the king the king must suffer our third point here is you must follow in the way of the king so now Jesus calls everybody together look at verse 34 He calls the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So I come back to my question. What does it mean to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him? First of all, let's take those three phrases. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. Deny yourself. Denying yourself is not just self-denial as we... Sometimes people talk about self-denial. Typically, it means uh, abstaining from certain luxuries or certain things you want. You just self-denial. It's more about self-control, really more about your strength and willpower. Denying self is not not self-denial. As we is people would understand that. Denial of self is something deeper. Literally, it's saying no to yourself, saying no to you. So at the center of reality, is it you or is it God? And self, denying yourself is saying, I am not the center of reality. The God of the universe is the center of all reality. And I die to making this the center and making this the priority. And I now live to making God, a holy God, the center and the priority of my life and of all things, which he has revealed himself to be. And again, this is why Jesus is so upset with Peter's words. He's saying, look, you can't, you can't hold on to your life. There, there, there's, there's, a, there's a greater reality, there's a greater life that can be pursued and experienced beyond just you. So again, my question, how do I know that I'm doing this? Or how do I know that I've denied myself? And if you ever want to have a good spiritual conversation, just ask that question. And I was talking with a friend last night. I said, hey, what, how do you know if you're denying yourself? When Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And then you get a half hour conversation, you're still not even sure you answered the question. <laughs> and and I, I hope I'm... Again, I'm not really sure I'm communicating anything to you, because I'm not sure where to stop, because have I, do I need to deny more? What does it look like to deny more? Well, I'm pursuing things that are good for me, but I think that God is calling me to those things as well. Am I denying myself? Do I need to suffer more? Do I, what, what is this? Hey, well, let's go on. Deny self. Take up your cross. Again, this is a death image. This is about dying to something. It's a suffering image. And don't ever miss this. Jesus didn't trick anyone who was following him. He spoke plainly. He spoke clearly that he must suffer. And he said, you've got to take up your cross too. If Jesus promised anything to his followers, it was suffering. Sort of letting go of, of life. So don't miss that. In a deliberate. It's a... So it's a suffering image. It's a deliberate action. It's this, you know, taking up something that could be avoided. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I give it freely. He lays down, he said, well, let me just read it. Um, he said, no one takes my life from me. John chapter 10, verse 18. But I lay, I lay my life down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. That taking up a cross is an intentional path. That's a path of suffering. So Jesus willingly did this. Do we willingly put ourselves into the battle between good and evil in our world? Willingly putting ourselves into the burdens of others? Willingly putting ourselves into the service of Jesus wherever he calls us? But this is hard, because a couple things. One is, Mark's, the early readers of this gospel, they would have a very heightened sense of dying for the sake of the gospel, that many were being persecuted and martyred. And in the United States today, you know, not so much. What we consider suffering isn't really suffering. People say, oh, I got stuck in traffic I'm suffering. Well, I mean, yeah, it is in a sense, but take up your cross. Um, you know, and then as we follow Jesus, we're, gonna, we're, we're entering into a kingdom in a way of life that is costly. And we will suffer because of that. But I haven't given my life up. I haven't died. My life even really hasn't been threatened. Have I done enough? But then it turns into, me, do I seek pain and suffering? Do I need to move to a country where I might be more, my life might be more in jeopardy? or um, I could be killed for my faith? I mean, Certainly in this is a willingness to die, but most of us in this room won't be called to give our lives for the sake of the gospel. Yet we're called to pick up our cross. So we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow him. And Jesus sets the pattern. He said, you're going to love as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He loved to the point of laying down his life. And that's the new standard. So then, okay, so Jesus elaborates this whole thing. So he's put this, that's, did that feel weighty to you? It felt weighty to me. So let's, keep, let's just keep reading. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Uh, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? You know, in a literal sense, if you spent your whole life just trying to preserve your life, you would lose your life. You know, you've just spent all your hours at the gym, like don't go out in the sun because that's dangerous, and don't go out in the dark because that's dangerous, and don't go out in flu season or allergy season or when it's too hot or too cold or when it's rainy or don't go in traffic, um, don't do anything dangerous, no adventure, and you 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 know you're preserving your life as best you can. But you could see in doing that, that would be no life at all. You know I'm only going to save money. I'm not going to give money. You know, it ends in a graveyard with an epitaph that says, "He took care of himself." ends in the same place. But the word here is, uh, for life is the word sukse uh, or psyche. It's, a, it's not just your physical life, but it's yourself. It's your identity. You have to be willing to lose. Jesus is saying, you need to lose your, you're going to be willing to just lose your identity to really find your true identity in your creator. Again, can this be done? How do I know if I'm doing it? How do I know if I'm not doing it? Is this just an ideal that I'm working towards? Because I read things like Galatians 2.20 where the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That it's a done deal. He said, I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. He was confident that he took up his cross and gave up his life to, to, to gain true life. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, other places, thinking about the concept of a living sacrifice, of dying to live. And all these, it's paradoxical, but it's, this is the pattern of the kingdom. This is the mystery of the kingdom revealed to us. So I don't have an answer. When Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, it looks like X. Fill in the blank. Because for each person, this is going to look different. But we can ask tough questions, like, what is my motive? If I'm, I have to make a decision, what's my motive? Is my motive self, or is it God? What is my aim? What is my future aim? Is it avoiding death, or is it losing your life for the sake of the gospel? Another question, what are your values? You look at verse 37, You know, what does it profit a man? What do you value? What do you consider profit or gain in your life? And lastly, what's your goal? What is your ultimate goal? Is my ultimate goal earthly status, or is it glorifying God? So don't just sit and reflect about these questions because you'll get neurotic. Trust me, ask my wife. (laughs) My behavior this week, and I've had conversations with a number of you. Um, If I learned anything, it's it's don't sit and just ask these questions because I can't answer that question X. Because every time I answer X, okay, oh, this is what it looks like to die to yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. It falls short. It seems deficient of what Jesus said. Yet it's not impossible. I don't see this as an impossibility that it can't be done. So this is my, this is my encouragement to you, however you answer that. Explore in community that we've been called together to pursue this way of life, that we're not alone in this kingdom to wonder, if have I done enough or have I... Who am I living for? Am I living for me? I forgot. And you just don't know. It's, we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And we do it in community. So any opportunity you have to connect with other people in this church, whether it's in the context of a small group or at a breakfast, this is a women's breakfast, men's breakfast, any time we can connect, we can help each other understand, help each other let the weight of Jesus' command to us to be his disciples, that we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him.